You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 254 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast, coming to you on March 15th. How's everything going this week, Raj? The rain. Seriously. You, the rain. You, you can try, but... <laughs> days and days of raining straight, which amounts to a lot of pain, so not a lot of reading then. Did you at least read this week's comic? <laughs> a long time ago. Several times. But See, no. that's that's something I wanted to ask. When because I know this was around the time you were still active in comic reading. When did you first read this comic? Up oh, for those at home. Uh we're finally, after two hundred and fifty plus episodes of the podcast, diving into the Dark Knight Returns. I figured it was an interesting time to look at it with the current publication of DK three as well as the imminent release of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which is said to be heavily inspired by the Frank Miller classic. So yeah, when did you first read it? Now I'm not gonna lie to you. I think I spent more time digging through all of our archives to find the episode that I was certain we talked about this. <laughs> I'm serious. I was going through all of the archives. I was looking like, at this everything. Going, making us talk about this again? I'm going, I'm sure we talked about this. I'm positive. I, you know what? I'm still positive. I just didn't find it, but I'm positive we did at some point. So when did I read it initially? I read it when it came out. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly when this did come out, actually. Um, 84, 85, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I 86, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had, uh, yeah, I, I was still reading at that point. And I, I do remember at that point, I was just trying to remember if I'd read it before or after I'd stopped. Because there was still a couple of comics that I picked up after I'd stopped. Mm-hmm. Not many, but there were a couple that you, you, you kind of had to read at the time. And, um, and I remember when this came out and the splash that it made and everybody talking about it kind of thing. We didn't have the internet per se, but we had a lot more conversations in comic book shops as well as with people you knew who collected. And this is really dating myself. This is back in the days of bulletin boards. (laughs) When you, you know, get on somebody's bulletin board and chat with people local about comics. And a lot of people were talking about this when it came out. Mm -hmm. For me, I mean, obviously, I didn't read it when it first came out. (laughs) And I don't, I I was aware of it for a long time, but I didn't actually read it until I got back into comics in the early 2000s. Oh, really? Well, yeah, I was incredibly young when it first came out. (laughs) Yeah, I just think about it because, like, again, I've gone through half of it um, this week to prep for this. And and I actually will finish reading it, even though I've read this at least a half dozen times. I will mm-hmm. finish reading it because it is a story that is engaging, that's fun to to read through. So, but I have read it a number of times over the years. Yeah. So yeah, I read it. Yeah, when I first started getting back into comics again, just kind of catching up on. Hey, I missed a lot of great stuff. <laughs> Either when I well, I didn't miss a lot of great stuff when I wasn't reading at all because the 90s but looking back to a lot of the stuff i had never had a chance to read you know and this was near the top of that list i think it was god 
I think Hush was the first Batman story I'd read when I got back into it. And eh, Hush was all right, but it really made me, you know, look for some of the some of the classics. And Dark Knight Returns was definitely in there. And then I read it again. Um, I want to say like right before we started this podcast, somewhere around there, when I was doing that uh, that list on my old website of the hundred comics to read before you die, and this was high up on the list. So reading it again, and it's interesting because. I think every time I read it, I like it a little less. Oh, really? And that has nothing to do with the work itself. It, it's still just as good now as it was 30 years ago, but it's been retread and come back to so many times by other creators trying to recapture the 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 original feeling, Frank Miller himself included, that it's just you read it again and you go back to it and it just it doesn't have that spark anymore because we've done this so many times in the interim. I can honestly say I don't feel that way about it. Mm-hmm. That may have something to do with the fact that I did read it um, when it first came out. It it could be it could be a lot of different things in terms of the storytelling. I can I can pick things in it as I read it more and more, and as I age, obviously, there's things that I pick out and go. Eh, not crazy about that element or how this is phrased or different mm-hmm. things. And there are a few things like that, but I mean, they're, they're minuscule. It's not something that I would slam the, the comic for at all. So, and, and again, some of it may very well be that, that appreciation of Miller in that time as well, which carries forward despite any other crap he may have done. Again, Miller back then, that was huge. There was uh, this, this was right when he was in the prime of his career oh, with yeah. Daredevil, Wolverine, Ronin. Uh, and then even when he came back to Batman, like the year after this came out with Batman Year One, which was a completely different take on Batman, which I mean, that's a pretty impressive testament itself that you can do two vastly different stories with essentially the same character. Although a lot of people would say they weren't the same character. Well, they weren't. I mean, even if you read the intro that he says too, like this is, this is not Batman. This is Batman way later on. This is Bruce way later on in his life. And so they're, they're not the same people. It's funny because you say that because I was, um, I was reading a whole bunch of different things. Again, I've been reading a lot of different things about, uh, uh, brain chemistry and, and all kinds of the things to, to work with some AI things that I'm, I'm doing. But, um, but what's funny is that, and I can't remember if it was in a talk that I watched or if it was something that I read, but they were saying how you now have less in common with you from the future than you do with any other stranger on the street right now. Not just because of the experiences that will shape you throughout that time, but in fact, right down to your body chemistry that changes constantly over the years. So the idea that, you know, this is this is not Bruce R, quote unquote, Bruce Wayne. It's a completely different person for all intents and purposes. And you can definitely see that yeah. like a lot of the things he does or had done previously in his career, like. I think there's a point where Bruce really did stop being Batman and just started being, you know, angry Bruce in yeah. a costume. I mean, to the point where, you know, when he tricks out the Batmobile to essentially become a tank. Like at first, like I was like, why it doesn't it didn't feel right. But that's one of the things that the more you think about it and you realize 
a lot has changed with the person behind the mask. And, and you're you're right. Bruce has changed so much that there's a lot of points in this where he's vastly different from any version of Batman you can imagine. Yeah, because there's there's also so much resentment mm-hmm. from the, the years of not being able to do it anymore. It's not just anger, but there's a ton of resentment. And what's funny on a personal level, I'm not – Anywhere near this age, let's be clear on that. Okay, I'm not. <laughs> but as someone with a disability, wherein I don't have that the the mobility that I used to before, there is resentment. I, and that's one of the things that I'm appreciating more reading this now is that that resentment with your body for failing you, and that was really really well done in this. Yeah, and you see a lot of that in the action scenes where Bruce is incredibly violent in this comic. And yeah, on a surface level, you go, oh, it's, you know, it was uh, the beginning of the dark age of comics, uh, if you will, with you know, Miller and Moore and all them and everything became gritty and dark. And yeah, of course it was violent. Everything became violent starting in the mid 80s, but it wasn't violence for the sake of violence. It, it really was. You nailed it that frustration that he's as angry at himself for letting things become this way as he is at the people responsible for the acts themselves. And a lot of that really comes through. And the other thing too is the, whereas in a lot of cases with DC, especially the violence is so gratuitous and just irks me because it's just stupid and it doesn't fit. I don't think anybody lost an arm in this. Well, yeah, but the reason why this feels authentic to me too is yet again, as someone in, in, in similar kind of situation kind of thing and someone who's done decades of martial arts and things mm-hmm. like that, I've had to adapt because I still, when I can still we, do we some workouts. We were talking about this recently about something else too. You have to adapt how you fight and I've had to do that now. So whereas before I could have danced around a lot more and now I know if something ever did present itself, I have to be brutal right from the get-go because mm-hmm. I don't have a lot more to go afterwards. And so when you see that here, he's like there's a few points where he's kind of playing with them a little bit. But for the most part, it's be as efficient as possible and brutal because you don't know whether or not you're going to still be conscious later on. Yeah, it's it. it, it like I said, it never came across as being violent just for the sake of shock value or anything like that. It it really did feel in the character and in this interpretation of the character. Yeah. So we had a lot of stuff going on in this issue. We had, you know, the return of Two-Face, which, uh, OK, I, I can see that as being kind of the sparking event because of how close in the past Bruce and Harvey had been. And that kind of being, you know, him seeing his own failure and having to be the one to step up and stop it. But we also had what was really important here was the introduction of Kerry Kelly as his Robin. And as the, you know, the comics lore goes, John Byrne came up to Frank Miller and said, your Batman has to be a girl in this comic. And he said, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and she's so fun and interesting. I just wish so much more like we got more of this character that wasn't in Frank Miller's sequels. <laughs> what I had hoped, and this is going way back now to when Batman Beyond started, 
What mm-hmm. I had hoped is that we would see a version of her as the Terry McGinnis character, as a, a female Terry McGinnis kind of thing, but give her her quirks that we have in here. I basically wanted Batman Beyond to be a spiritual successor to this, not as gritty, obviously, but you could have so many similarities because there exists so many similarities between the two. Right. And that to me would have been absolutely brilliant. And in theory, it actually still could be done as well. And a damn sight better than DK3, let's be honest. <laughs> Or even DK2, Dark Knight, what is it? Dark Knight Strikes Again or something like that? Oh, that was so awful. <laughs> and then, of course, we have the big scenes with the Joker. And I love the way he played it of once Batman went away, you know, so did the Joker. And it wasn't until he sees Batman on TV again that he kind of wakes up and that persona returns. And this is, the you know, one of the few times in assorted alternate universes and what have you that Batman finally goes the limit with the Joker and realizes that, you know, he's got to go. It's He had a lot of flexibility, and by that I mean Miller, mm-hmm. with this, by it not being part of the canon kind of thing, it, it could be later on, but they had a lot of wiggle room in terms of what they wanted to do. And so, like, he was able to do things with with not just Bruce as a character, but events in the story that otherwise you never see, which in the time made you appreciate it all the more. But even over the years, because of all of the reboots we've had as of late, especially with DC and things like that, it's, it's really still engaging when you're getting the, the, the 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 characters doing what you feel is how realistically they should be behaving in real life. Mm-hmm. And, and to the point where we expect, you know, he's like, okay, Batman says he's finally going to finish it. And even he can't go all the way. Like he breaks the Joker's neck, but not enough to kill him, just enough to paralyze him. And we have that weird scene where a paralyzed Joker twists his own neck enough to finish the job. And like I've seen people interpret that as, you know, it's just some weird hallucination by Bruce, but there was no setup for that. Like it 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 came off kind of weird. Like it worked on some levels, but not on others. Well, it didn't work realistically. That's yeah. all it is because like it's one of those things where, yeah, I could see the Joker doing that, like character wise. I just can't see, you know, him actually doing physically that. being able to yeah. do it. Yeah. So you have to just accept that he's again. It's literary license to give mm-hmm. you a better ending. As yeah, well. the, the effect of the scene. It, it's not until later if you're you know analyzing it and you go, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I kind of thought it, again it would have been better had Bruce gone all the way, and then you see the impact that it has on him moving forward as well. But again, it was creative license to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And then when we get towards the end of the series, we get that that mid-80s, you know, nuclear fear that pops up in so many comics, leading into what was a great bit of Batman riding through town on horseback to, to you know, calm the panic and stop the riots, which is a great callback to the last time he was involved in a riot is when he built that giant freaking tank. 
And, you know, with technology being or not permanently, but temporarily blacked out through the EMP from the nuclear explosion. You know, he had to go more low tech and it was a very different feeling of, it was a very heroic thing going all the way back to, you know, the original inspiration for Batman as kind of, you know, a, a more superheroic Zorro type character of him riding through town on horseback with his sons of Batman, you know, the reformed mutants uh, at his back. I, I loved that. Bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this is something that we've talked about I'm sure it was on this. It might have been on on uh, For the Lord, but I think it was probably on this podcast. Again, that fear, that that nuclear war. I think we talked about it here when we did Watchmen. Was real. That mm-hmm. was very, very real. Ironically, I've been <laughs> I've been listening to on a loop a playlist, a crap load of Stephen Colbert videos from late night. Mm-hmm. Um and one of them, ironically, he talks just about that. It came up that, you know, growing up in that time, it, nuclear war was right around the corner all the bloody time. And if you actually do some studying for the history of that time, it literally was a couple of times a button oh, I press away. drills in school. Yeah, it was. It <laughs> yeah, was, get under your desk, kids. It was ridiculous. So when you see it, depicted in a way where it's not just meant to sensationalize, then I can appreciate the reality of what it was. Mm -hmm. But then that leads into the big thing that everybody remembers this miniseries for, and that's the confrontation between Batman and Superman, where the U.S. government, you know, realizes that they've, you know, outlawed superheroes. They've chosen to, uh, you know, give Superman a license if he decides to work with them. But here's this vigilante superhero having success in this crisis. And they send in Superman to stop him because they can't have such a blatant violation of the law. And you have the epic confrontation between old man Batman and old man Superman. And like I said, it's something that I have a hard time appreciating as much now as I did the first time. Because like I said, we've seen this so many times. But we hadn't at the time. Exactly. And you have to remind yourself of that when you're reading it. So it's easier if you can remember it, case in point, like, my, like me, at least for the next little while. <laughs> that memory will be gone soon enough, too. I mean, I could but, imagine being a kid and reading this and, you know, Batman stepping out in the exosuit. And uh, this must have been friggin' amazing if you were at, at the time. Yeah, and it was. That's the thing. And that's why, like, there there were different events back then that really do stick in my brain and I remember them. And while some didn't hold up quite as well, I'm looking at you, Gru. (laughs) Although that wasn't an effect event, I'm just saying. Um, But like things like this and like his work on Wolverine and, and like a bunch of other stuff, like the, they, a lot of them still do hold up, but even if they don't still so forgiving of it, just because mm-hmm. I can remember it for what it was then. And this was huge. It was so much fun to read. It was one of those where you literally got to the last page and you flipped back to the beginning and started again. Yeah. I mean, and just look, here we are 30 years later where it's still relevant and it's supposedly the inspiration for a major movie coming out now, which has nothing to do with the miniseries itself. But hey, if you're going to have Batman fighting Superman, this is the reference material you go back to. Oh, yeah. When you look at that, the scene again with the the heartbeat at the end, Mm -hmm. 
that was so clever at the time. Like you read that and went, oh, that is so cool. <laughs> and and it Because just that's the thing. We've, we've had so many interpretations of this fight where it's like, oh, Batman does beat Superman. And then, but here, like you look back and again, you know, the, the original, if you will, Batman doesn't beat Superman. Batman has to fake his own death to get out of the fight. <laughs> he could have taken him. and it's uh it ends with that great scene of batman uh carrie and the sons of batman and the remnants of the cave you know planning to to be a force of good in the future and like i said the the follow-up sadly didn't live up to that but there was one cool thing that i found out uh researching for this episode and just think back to a few weeks ago when we read the black mirror that was kind of Scott Snyder's tie-in to The Dark Knight Returns of James Gordon Jr. and the baby food was a possible way that uh, gave rise to the mutants here in Dark Knight Returns. Ooh. Yeah. Is that for real or is that speculation? That I, I believe that was Scott Snyder's intention. If that's the case, that's awesome. Because I've seen far too many people reference it to it just be speculation. That's pretty awesome. I will, yeah. I will justifiably say. <laughs> Way to go, I remember we were reading that. And we're like, man, too bad we'll never see this, sto- you know, the the payoff to that plot line. I'm like, well, of course we will. 30 years ago. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely, I think it's one of the few old school comics we've read on this podcast that will say, yeah, go back and read it. Because so many of them we look at and we're like, ah, it's still cool. It's still interesting to read, but it's not the same. But I, I said any disillusionment I have with this comic is zero fault of this comic. It's just everything the industry has done in the intervening years. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is one of those we're in. If you're a fan of the, the characters, you kind of owe it to yourself to read it. Mm-hmm. And and it makes a lot more sense than when you look at other things that you'll read that, like you said, borrowed heavily from it as well. Yeah. All right, then moving into what we're reading, I'm going to keep it the Batman theme. Uh, a couple months back, we read the uh, first issue of Tom Taylor's little story arc on Batman Superman. Have you been keeping up with it? No. Right, well, it only was it was only three issues long and it wrapped up last week. Loved it. You had Batman doing cool stuff, Superman being Superman, and the ending was very nice, very emotional. I, I actually really liked it. It was sadly, it's only this small little three issue story he's doing, but God, that guy can write the hell out of these characters. <laughs> and then because I have to talk about it every month, Weird World. <laughs> I'm going to continue talking about it every month until they stop publishing it, I think, because this was the best issue yet. This had, it started off with your usual big, crazy adventure, but halfway through the issue, it devolves into this, not devolves, but shifts, like huge swerve into another lane of this really deep, emotional, depressing storyline of reminding us uh, why... I can never remember her name. God, I'm terrible. <laughs> the main character is here because you know, she, when she came to Weird World, she didn't come to Weird World. When she ended up in Weird World, she was on her way to Mexico to bury her mother's ashes, which she's still carrying around with her. And remembering 
the anger she feels for her mother because her mother committed suicide and left her behind. And, and there's a lot of resentment in this character for this. And like, oh, it was heartbreaking and great, great writing, fantastic art as always. And then by the end of the issue, it shifts back into the typical weird world, big, crazy adventure stuff. But there are some pages in here that will hurt. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But hmm. it it's, continues to be, I would say, the best comic Marvel is putting out. It's pretty high praise. Mm-hmm. Cool. And that's all I've got this week. Okay, I'm going to be keeping it short as well, but <laughs> Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> he can draw four. a Batmobile. Yeah, I know. I noticed that as well. <laughs> Although if you zoom in on one of the pages where he's walking, where Bats is walking with Raphael mm-hmm. and the car is parked to the side and you only see half of it, it is that jacked up weird kitty face oh, yeah. on the front. But the other ones look normal, yeah. And <laughs> second of all, this dude can draw people in the rain and Batman in the rain really well. Like it, was it ridiculous. looks I, I cannot get over the art in every single issue. Like every issue, I kind of am floored by how unbelievably beautiful the art is. Every aspect of it. Who actually does the art? Art art and cover, Freddie Williams a second. And colors by Jeremy Colwell, who deserves. Somebody I've never heard of. Man. They like who need, is this guy? They need to do a lot more work. And I love his Joker. Oh, I love his Joker. Oh, God. And I never want this to end. I No, I'm not joking. It's I, just getting, like, better and better with each issue. Now each. I want crazy mutants, you know, Arkham outbreak. Like, I'm all for this. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere this is going is awesome. Every scene is fantastic. The stuff mm-hmm. between him and Raphael, while you see it coming, was still just as poignant. So I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, next. Uh, oh, Spider-Man Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> Not as good as the first couple, but I still liked it. I, yeah. I, it, I, I it, think it, was it bounced a little, around too much. Yeah. So, But then when they tied it all back in at the end, it made it all worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It was still a. a I'm not going to lie. I skimmed a few pages in the middle of this comic. <laughs> I did not, but kind of wish that I had. <laughs> but yeah, there's little, and by little, I mean way too much going on at points. Um, mm-hmm. Are you caught up with Injustice as well? Oh, indeed. Man. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you have any idea how, like, fanboy I reacted when the Solomon Grundy poem started coming out of the back of that truck? Oh. <laughs> I was like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> I like the eat car now. Or now eat car. <laughs> but yeah, no. And I, this may be the first time I've ever liked Bizarro. Yeah, he was freaking awesome. I, I like again, it's so freaking DC. It's not a DC injustice unless there's a decapitation thing. <laughs> but it's the look on It doesn't count when it's a zombie. It's a look on Hal's face. <laughs> He's not saying no or that he shouldn't or anything. It's just that kind of wincing. <laughs> especially when you hear the rip (laughs) so yeah that was freaking awesome that's it for me all right then 
this week's new releases from Marvel, we have Captain Marvel number three, Extraordinary X-Men number eight, which I think starts that apocalypse crossover with all the other X-Men comics I'm not reading. <laughs> International Iron Man number one, Kanan number 12, which I believe is the last issue. I'm sorry. Ooh. Yeah. Power Man and Iron Fist number two and Web Warriors number five Mm -hmm. from DC, Batman and Robin Eternal number 24 and Superman number 50 from Image, Low number 12, Monstrous number four and Rat Queens number 15. Bring your Kleenex for that one. (laughs) Dark Horse, we have Dragon Age Mage Killer number four from IDW, Star Trek Starfleet Academy number four and Transformers number 51. And finally, from Valiant, A&A, The Adventures of Archer and Armstrong have their own series again with a new issue number one. And Wrath of the Eternal Warrior wraps up with issue number five. So that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. Definitely stay tuned to our friends over at All Comics Considered. They have a really cool episode coming up soon. And until next time, thanks for listening. Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast.